Hello listeners, my name is Russ Shaw. This is Season 6, Episode 19. Attitudes of sexual integrity. Today, tuning in with the metaphorical radio dial. There's been about four or five listeners out there now who are heavy on my heart. And some of this music was like, oh, I gotta do one more closing 2018 episode. And I brought in my friend Seth Taylor, author of Feels Like Redemption published by triple x church uh in on this episode here so sit back as i tune this thing in another audio adventure the bomb going off part two with my friend seth taylor closing out 2018 this is the last show No, I know that I can't make you stay But where's your heart? But where's your heart? But where's your... And I know there's nothing I can say To change that part To change that part the bomb going off. To explain what you're about to hear, uh, we go back to season one of this here podcast, and I did, uh, I believe, a few shows called The Bomb Going Off. And that's a metaphor, right? I had my friend uh, Dan Hazen on talking about this metaphor where the police come in and um, detonate a bomb, right? Like have a, a group of friends around you when the bomb goes off, that kind of thing. Um, not doing it by yourself. And basically it's just the bomb going off shows were really an encouragement to folks to get ahead of sexually compulsive behavior. Right. And the metaphor is also like sexually compulsive behavior is much like a ticking time bomb. Um, it doesn't end well, especially for relationships. And that's where I wanted to go with this uh, episode here in season six, revisiting the bomb going off with my friend Seth Taylor, um, because the, the research and what I've learned over the years is that most guys, especially, um, don't get help, women too, um, until the bomb goes off, right? The bomb goes off, and then we are reacting to the shrapnel and the blast and the bloodshed and the tears. Um, what does life look like in the aftermath of the bomb? Let me let me tune back in the show already in progress. I apologize. Your memory serves you more than I can now You'll have to make sense of my life somehow Every-
every argument, every word we can't take back. Cause with all that has happened, I think that we both know the way that the story ends. Then only for a minute, I want to change my mind. Cause this just don't feel right to me. I wanna raise your spirits. I want to see you smile. No, that means I'll have to leave. That was uh, Bumper by My Chemical Romance. That's Little, your favorite uh, group, isn't it? It's, it's one of them. I I've like heard you reference that group more than yeah, anybody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I, I use them as an analogy, too, towards in, in some of telling my story. So early, it was chemicals. Like it was alcohol. It was methamphetamine. It was crack cocaine. And I called those My Chemical Romances, right? Right, right. So here's a little bit of my story in a nutshell. I got clean from my chemical romances because I believed that through all of my wisdom, I picked the right Christian God to save me from those things. Sure. And so that gave my ego a little boost, and, and I kind of became this sort of kind of Christian-y, kind of judgmental towards culture and things I didn't understand, you know. Um, but uh, still d struggling with compulsive pornography use, um, spending more money than I made, stuff like that, just yeah. things that I was doing that were still very compulsive and addictive in nature. Um, I had still had impulse control issues. They just yeah. didn't, they just didn't attach themselves to chemicals anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. so... In a nutshell, that's why I like the name of that band. It's My Chemical Romances is yeah, is a uh, yeah, it's one of those things. But I love I love the band. I like their energy. They wrote a book too. I haven't read the book, but they wrote a book. They, they wrote, wrote a, book. a book. Well, the guy, the creative force oh, yeah. behind the band, nice. wrote a book about his life and stuff. So I haven't read it yet. It's on the bucket list. Nice. So Seth Taylor, yeah. it's been a while since you've been on the podcast, been, man. Yeah. How you been? What's a? You have a new book out. I wanted to t is, touch yeah. on that a little bit before we get into it here. Yeah. Uh, my pilgrimage kind of evolved into uh, a niche. A niche. Yeah. No, I. So I. I started. You know, when I wrote "Feels Like Redemption," was it about four years ago now? Mm -hmm. Three years ago, something like that. Um, you know, one of the things I did was create a guidebook, my pilgrimage guidebook, and it was a, it's a, if you can't buy it, 
online um, unless you do the my pilgrimage kind of thing because there's videos and there's all this kind of stuff but it was a guidebook it was a therapeutic process that I created which was a really interesting experience because I wrote right. a book and they're like can you make a workbook and I'm like well, workbooks are dumb like people people yeah. don't want to do workbooks but I'm like yeah, let's call it a guidebook and I said but I'm going to really put myself into this thing and create a therapeutic experience and it's been fascinating because when people read feels like redemption they can read it in a, in a day or two um, but when guys have done the My Pilgrimage workbook, they're talking about, it took me a year and a half to get through this kind of thing because it was an intense experience right. therapeutically. So after that, I started going, this is kind of, this guidebook thing is kind of interesting. So I created something for Starbucks about um, two, two and a half years ago. I, I was working at Starbucks at the time and I created something to deal with unconscious bias, unconscious racism, that kind of stuff because I was encountering yeah. that at work. And they were going to buy it and then budget got slashed everything got it got pulled out from underneath us and then you know of course a year later they have all this problem with unconscious bias and racism <laughs> yeah he used words yeah. the freaking ceo used words on the news like you right. got a bunch that, of calls yeah. from friends and stuff yeah they're like, like that's your language yeah like he's saying oh I think they're stealing what was the words he used unconscious yeah. He used, yeah and used the word guidebook too because i remember they they were like why do you call it a guidebook i'm like well because people hate workbooks and they and so they in <laughs> the press release are like we're creating a guidebook oh man and i actually saw i got a, i got a, i got actually it's funny because i actually got to see a little bit of what they're creating and i'm like oh they're using our stuff as like a template kind of thing and everybody's like you should sue them I'm like I don't have energy to do that and I don't have time to do it nor do I have the desire to do it um, but anyway that's a that's another story but but what's cool about it is that we did something right with it because because they loved it and I'm right. like okay this this is a, this is a thing so a friend of mine said hey let's let's go at this whole problem of drama like parent drama in youth sports right because <clears throat> there's all these kids being hurt really bad uh -huh. like and we make tv shows and nightline about the the crazy ones but like we don't recognize like it's a kind of a toxic environment youth sports anybody's right. listening here who's got a kid playing sports is like yes that yeah is. there's, there's and, always that one dad who's over there right just abusing you can see the kid's soul getting crushed well and, and it's funny because i got interviewed on a soccer podcast the other day and they were asking me about this and i said listen i said the, the one dad we all know about him. I go, but the problem is, is because we're not him, we're ignoring what we're doing. I go, our kids are dying by paper cuts. Their kids are dying by the sword. Yeah. And we're ignoring what we're doing because right. we're at least we're not that guy. Right. right? So I created uh, a guidebook called On Frame, exploring uh -huh. the, the depth of parenting in the world of youth soccer. And I created a companion book that's for coaches as well. So I created that, and that's going really well. So after about a year of working on it, um, that's starting to go like we have associations that are going to be and Washington State Youth Soccer is going to adopt it across the board. I mean, we have national organizations that are looking at it. You also did a book by like My Pilgrimage about uh, social media and uh, gaming. Gaming yeah. addiction. As that well. one just came out. That's what you're talking about. Like, it's called Pioneers. Yeah. And, and that's for parents whose kids are addicted to social media and gaming. And, and because that's apparently, I mean, I have a friend of mine come to me and talked about the problem and I started researching it. And I'm like, man, we really need to help with this one too. So that just came out and that's on Amazon. Yeah. Um, it's called pioneers, right? Because I think parents that are, are this is a space where they're working into spaces that, like most most parents like myself, cannot relate to what our kids yeah, are dealing yeah. with, and it's and we and we have to kind of pioneer and move into new territory. So, yeah. yeah when so. we were kids, video games were just like Nintendo and shit like right. that. They didn't hook into the internet. <clears throat> yeah, I remember being at school. I was picking up <clears throat> my son, and this was like, geez, ten years ago, and talking about. Uh, he goes, yeah, man. I'll see you tonight on Halo. Yeah, because yeah. they yeah. they play Halo together and they get home. Yeah, and they're hanging out while they're not right. In the, well, and that's what's happening, especially with Fortnite. Fortnite's the most brilliant video game that's ever been created. 
hands down, they've tapped into every center of a child's of a of a kid's brain, especially boys, right. of a kid's brain that could that needs to What's be the penetrated. Game called Fortnite. Fortnite. It's a battle royale, never ending social media slash just. It's it's one of these games where I'm a character and I can move into this this virtual world. Right. It's a lot like uh, the Oasis. You ever see a World of Warcraft kind of? Uh, kind of like it, it's a it's literally a place where I can go create a virtual world of my own where I'm a killer assassin. I like it has its own economy. Like literally, right. I could like I I was working with this kid um, therapeutically as a client. And he was having panic attacks and all kinds of anxiety issues. Well, Fortnite was pretty much his whole world. And and he was making real money by finding items in the game and then selling them on eBay. Like, there was a whole... Wow. I mean, real money. Right. So, you can... It's, it's a really, really fascinating um, thing. But the, addic- the addictive element to it is so intense yeah. um, that parents are going to war with it. And I'm trying to help people... Trying to help parents figure out how to navigate that better. I read how Facebook and uh, Twitter have hired uh, companies that work in the gaming, uh, gambling industry yeah. for like slot machines and stuff like yeah. that as a way to engineer uh, the reward system. A reward system, yeah, and yeah, keep you playing or keep you yeah. keep your attention on the screen right. for for a time. So, that's essentially what it is. Yeah, well, that's yeah. great that, you, that you're, you're doing that. It's expanding into into other places and yeah. kind of started with my pilgrimage and it's uh, yeah, it's, it's just going well. And I've realized like I had a real, I have a goal of living a certain kind of way and and you know everybody's always talking about how do you create how do you create passive income and and what I'm doing is like I'm just going to keep creating things and putting them out in the world and and then find ways to market them and have people that are like hey I'll help you market this or that and and you know eventually you know I mean if you're willing to, to work hard enough and sacrifice for a while like I've been doing you know I, it's, it's, I, mean, I, I, have, right. I can't rub two pennies together at this point but like I can see it coming on the horizon where I'll be able to make money without having to yeah Having to, you know, have the job. My yeah. fellow starving artist friend. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's where we're at. It's funny because I'm like, well, I want to, I, I want my work to, I want to do work I love. I want to do work that helps people, and I want to make money doing it. And yeah. I've got the first two down. Yeah. And the third is coming. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, wanted to to this show. Uh, there's a lot of guys right now struggling with. Uh, porn addiction to the point where it's created a a chasm, right? Where she's found out the bomb has gone off, so to speak, and and a guy who's married, um, maybe in a committed relationship with a girlfriend, they find out, and and the one gentleman in particular, married with kids, has left, uh, moved out of his house. Uh, situations like this it reminded me of that that song that we kicked off this episode with, and the the question was asked: um, w- Did you ever separate because of of porn addiction? Uh, for me, no. Uh, I almost did, and there was a pastor. It was funny. It was a pastor that I went to his office and I said, "Yeah, I'm just I'm just ready to leave," um, and he said, "Why?" And I said, "Well." You know, just that she's really angry, and I don't know what to do, and it just feels like, you know, it's always a constant fight, and I'm going to get crushed if I go home. And he's like, well, it's your house, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he says, so what are you afraid of? And have you had something like that, Seth, and yeah. in, in just in your experience, um, where maybe the bomb went off, she caught you? Like, how did how did that, in your story? Yeah. 
<laughs> well, you didn't just write a book because oh, uh, <laughs> you thought yeah. it was good. You and I, we've struggled. Yeah, we we've been on the show yeah. before. You, you've you've gone through the. Well, and we never. You know what's funny is that, like, when I finally told my wife, I'd been an addict for a couple years, and when I finally told her, because she asked, she asked me a couple pretty direct questions for the first time, and I finally told her, you know, that that was it was something I was struggling with. She. She was pretty gracious, man. My yeah. wife, my wife actually, and it's not, and it's funny because I, when I look back on it, it wasn't just because she was being gracious. It's because I think that so my so here's the deal with with, with porn addiction. Most guys that most guys that are addicted to porn, uh, if you you start getting into their story, they find that their wives are pretty repressed. And I'm not blaming their wives for porn addiction at all. I'm right. just saying most people marry someone that is the, the kind of the opposite charge right. to the same problem, the same traumas. Right? right, so we tend to be attracted. They're on the, they live on the other side of the coin in the same coin. So uh, we both we both carry a certain type of repression, and mine comes out in an, in in a dependency on on pornography, which is a, a certain type of narrative, a certain type of you know, a certain type of acceptance of my desires. Right. As it, it does, a, I mean, most 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 porn addiction at some level is kind of a baby to the boob type of type yeah, of narrative yeah, and type yeah. of addiction. Well, well, feed me, right? Yeah. Right. Well, mo most women that that guys that carry that trauma tend to marry women that have the same trauma, and that trauma oftentimes comes out as a, a repression of their sexuality because there's something in the, even in the collective kind of feminine energy, if you will, that has this deep repression of their sexuality, mm -hmm. right? So, it's a cultural thing too. Like women aren't dude, allowed. To yeah, be. you got to think back a thousand years. Just go yeah. go a thousand years and what white men have been doing for a thousand years, right? Yeah, yeah. And and how their sexuality has played a part in that. And then what's happened to white white women. And then now now let's go over into to people of color and what and the the unique traumas that they've experienced over the, th the last thousand years. And let's look at how those things have functioned. And then it'll give you a better understanding of why repressed women. Mary, Mary repressed men, and then the way those things express themselves. Right. And in the Christian world, one of the problems is that there's the, they've, we've sold this ridiculous narrative because most of our theologies came out of that repression. Uh -huh. We've sold this ridiculous narrative that man is bad, woman is good, right. woman is holy, holy in some way because she's she treats sexuality in this delicate, repressed way, and man because he has this uncontrollable erotic desire is some sort of evil. Right. <clears throat> and that is could not be farther from the truth and it does a massive disservice. And so so women have this like they catch their man looking at porn and instead of a deep curiosity, a response of curiosity, grace and love, there's a response of disgust, repulsion and all this right. kind of thing. And a man walks away feeling guilty and shame. And For some they feel like it's cheating almost like a jerk. They're right. in competition. They you're cheating with me in some way. Yeah, yeah. Like my wife was a shopping addict at the same time I was a porn addict. But of course right. her addiction is as, as hard as it was right. was culturally more acceptable. Right. Oops, call me. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, so she's out there and she's and she was, you know, hiding money and doing these different things. And well well the cool thing is the way it worked out for my wife and I is I think we recognized very quickly that this was no different. I was medicating some sort of trauma. At first I went the kind of 12-step route and, and the every man's battle and all that kind of stuff and it right. didn't, didn't help at all, but I was trying. But I kind of recognized like, okay, this is, a, this is at some level because of pain. Right. And my wife was saying, okay, it's the same thing. I've got pain. And we, right. we, we didn't know what to do about it because nothing in the Christian world was helping us other than just pray harder. Mm -hmm. um, but... 
we recognize at a lot of levels that like you know there's going to be some grace required here and right. so she gave that to me and i gave that to her and it was a yeah and a few years later we discovered some what real healing was and we started going into that so ever since then it's been really 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 deep healing and now there's literally there's there we always we always expect the other one to do their work we don't view our marriage as something that we don't try to work on our marriage for instance right, right. ever we don't work on our marriage we work on ourselves right and then our marriage changes <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. it just it's just a marriage is a byproduct of two people and their own trauma and their own narratives and their own their own struggles so that's what my friend john was saying last night we we all hung out at a, a bar in everett it's a tap room called bruise almighty <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but he said that too. Like last night, he was just saying that. Like, why is why is it work? Like everybody says, marriage is work. Like I don't want marriage to be work. No. Like it shouldn't be work. No. Like there is work involved, but it, if it's always work, right? There's a problem, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like if you say a garden is work. Okay, right? We can say yeah. a garden is something that needs to be tended, and you could call that work. But we have to recognize work isn't a work isn't something you do. Work is a, is your psycho-spiritual state orientation towards what you do. Yeah. So, you know, and Mary Poppins, right? In every job there must be done, there's an element of fun. Like, you can play. Yeah. I work with a lot of professional athletes, okay? Uh, I have clients. And some of them play soccer. And some of them work at uh, soccer, yeah, right? Yeah. Some of them play and some of them work. And just like any other job, you'll you'll be in a, in a, in a you know, you go to any job, take an investment banker, this guy's playing and this guy's working. Right. Right? Yeah. This guy has joy, this guy has depression, right? <laughs> and, I mean, it's the same thing with anything else. I know writers are just like, just struggling and they're just like, oh, it's such a grind to write and you gotta keep your butt in the seat. And I'm going, man, for me, anytime I sit down and write, like, it's just a playground, yeah. you know? So it's... Once it starts flowing... Yeah. yeah you, well, it's you, a psycho-spiritual state. Work and play. This is why you know, I, 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 I teach this all the time. I'm speaking next month at the uh, Major League Soccer Rookie Symposium. And that's what I talk to the guys about is about identity and about play versus work, about what you are, who you are versus what you do. And most of them, by the time I asked them last year, this is fascinating, actually, if, insight, insight, is I asked them, said, at what age, think back, at what, at what age for you did the game become work? Mm. And, and one guy was like six Wow. Another guy's like seven, right? And it switched. And for most people, marriage is work, not right. play. And it's because everything is repressed. Everything. It's not a kid in a sandbox that just has no restriction on his creativity and his desires and his kind of thing. It's this restrictive space. Just imagine a sandbox where the, where the parent is telling the child what to do in the sand. All right. Take that spoon, scoop that thing, put it in the thing. That's how we treat marriage. Right. Yeah, Instead of yeah. just going, play. Yeah. Right. Because you know, a woman looks at her uh, husband's desires instead of looking at like that, like he's looking at porn. Why is he looking at porn? What is it he? What is it he's desiring? And how am I treating his desires? How am I receiving his desires? And it's the same thing with a man. He's going not looking at his wife and going like I, the, one of the most impactful things I ever said to my wife when we were starting to really work on this. I said, I don't understand. Why don't you like sex? What do you mean? I like sex. No, you don't. You don't love sex at all. It's not a thing you want. I go, and it's weird to me because sex is like the best thing. Yeah. It's the best thing about being a person. You know what I mean? It's really All the things we have as people, yeah. that's the best one. Mm. You go, well, a lot of my friends, I go, no, no, no. I go, you surrounded your, yourself with friends that affirm this narrative, but there are lots of women in the world that love sex. Yeah. You know, I, I had this conversation, I think I've probably said this before, I had this conversation at this bar, and it really, I was with a bunch of friends, we're at a pub, 
we it was like we're all playing pool and we you know you start meeting people talking to people. And I was talking to this woman. She says, "So what do you do?" I said, "Well, I'm a writer." <clears throat> she goes, "What do you write about?" I'm like, "Oh, you know, a couple of different books. I had a book about pornography addiction." She goes, <laughs> "She kind of laughs at me." She goes, "What's what's porn addiction?" And I go, "You don't think people can be addicted to porn?" She goes, "No." I go, "Why?" She goes, "Because porn is awesome." And I was like, well, "Why is porn awesome?" She goes, "Because sex is awesome." And I go, "Well, that's an." relatively healthy way to look at it. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah. yeah, you're right. Sex is awesome. She was just like, yeah. And I go, so you, you, you just feel like se- you just love sex. She goes, yeah, I think it's great. She goes, I don't want it as much as my husband, but I, but I know it makes him happy. Right. So if he wants it, he can have it. I go, how often do you guys have sex? She goes like almost every day. Wow. She goes, I don't always want it, but I know he does. And, and she goes, and I did. My mom always taught me. She, this is kind of, it, it may sound archaic, but, but hear what I'm saying. She says, my mom always taught me that if, if you give him sex, give him food, he'll always take care of you. <laughs> I'm like, huh? She goes, and he does. He's really happy, and he really does. And I'm like, huh? That's fascinating. Now that may sound really old-fashioned, but there's a simplicity to this idea of receiving his desires and receiving them well. Right. And she's like, I'm his wife. I'll receive his desires. Now he receives mine too. Right. Right. And so there's this thing where she can bring her desires, and of course we have to struggle with where ego and where pain comes into those spaces. We have to. Right. But if if I'm bringing my desires to my wife and she's receiving them with all these boundaries and all these rules and all these structures and all these barriers, then after a while, I'm like, that's, this, that's not any different than porn addiction. Right. It's not. Yeah. And it's not the reason I'm a porn addict. You know, I remember watching, I, I know I've said this on your show before. I, I remember when my son was born and I'm watching my wife breastfeed and I had this revelation and I said to her, Hey, when I bring my sexual desire to you, I go, is it like that? Yeah. She goes, what? I like him? I go, yeah. Is it, does it feel like that? She goes, feels exactly like this. <laughs> I was uh, like, yeah. yes. I go, that's it. And then so I get, I started to recognize, okay, it's tough for her to receive my desire because I'm bringing it to her like a baby needing the boob. <laughs> right. And she doesn't want a baby for a husband, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I also don't want a little, I don't want a seven-year-old girl for a, mo- a wife either. Right. And you so, don't want a mommy. <laughs> I don't want a mommy. That's a big part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so there's this thing where Fully we have to, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we have to recognize that, that like this guy who wrote to you saying, you know, like talking about. You know, I've I've got you know I have to be out of the house and all this kind of stuff because she caught me looking at porn. At some point, you walk back into that space and go, listen, like I've got my shit, mm-hmm. and it's manifesting in a certain way. You got yours too, yeah. And I'm gonna go after mine. Will you go after yours? I'm gonna stop trying to make my marriage better. My wife and I do not work on our marriage ever, right? Ever. We work on ourselves. Yeah. And then we recognize that when, it, when I can bring myself back to this this space between us, whatever you want to call that, marriage or whatever. I hate that word just because when we got married, we were idiots. You know what I mean? 20-year-old, <laughs> you know, <laughs> mid-20s, yeah. standing yeah. at a stage saying, for better or worse, you know, what the hell you're talking about, right? <laughs> so, you know, like, I don't call it our marriage anymore. It's just this beautiful, sacred space between us. And so I bring it there. Uh-huh. And I don't ask that thing to define me anymore. I bring myself to it and I ask for my desires and my my pain and my vulnerability and my honesty and my struggles and my weaknesses and my strengths. And I ask all of it to be received. Right. And she has to wrestle with what does it mean to receive him? What does it mean to be married to him? Yeah. You know? And I have to do the same thing. Yeah. I have to do the same and thing. And that's honesty. That's integrity. Yeah. You know, that's not hiding. There's something that uh, also you, you mentioned your wife, you know, hiding 
some of her <coughs> spending. And there's also women, and I've had uh, emails because this isn't a boys' club thing, right? No. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of women that struggle with with uh, sexual compulsive behavior as well. Yeah, porn addiction, to use that word. Um, it, but it, there's also that, and I think you're you're nailing it when you say bringing those things. It's kind of like the, the Bible says, right? Naked and unafraid. Yeah. They were in the garden, yeah. naked and unafraid, yeah. unashamed. Yeah. It's it's getting to that point because I think from what I've seen, a lot of women that struggle with with porn, um, it's it's that shamey thing. And sometimes there's sometimes there's Christian narrative involved in it, and sometimes mm -hmm. there's not. It's just cultural, right. um, because women aren't supposed to like sex, right? Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then, but. But they end up hiding it from their husband, mm -hmm. and that's what causes. Or, you know, and then same with the 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 like guys are used to that. Guys feel like, in most cases, but it it, it sometimes the, the the thing is flipped, yeah. where the guy doesn't want it as much as, as she does. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got several clients that have been like that, but it's like, I have this client that I'm working with, he's in his fifties. And he's just like, I just don't desire anymore. She still wants, she desires. And I go, yeah, but when we started tracing it back, we realized, like, after 25 years, he just, his desire just shut down. Right. He just shut down. He was just like, because there is a place in, in, in between couples when that's, that play, that space between you can be destroyed to, to a place where it's not repairable anymore. And, and like we, we talk with him a lot. I've been saying, well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe it, maybe it can be. Right. But we've been talking a lot about going, here's the thing. What's your vision for your life? What do you desire for the next 40, 30 to 40 years that you have left? What do you really desire for your sexuality? And he's like, I really want that. I'm like, all right, great. You know, let's, let's cast a vision for that and let's start bringing, we have to bring this, this desire and this truth full force to this space between you. Because right. he not only has his sexuality now been deeply repressed, but his desire and his language, his words, his truth is completely repressed and he's like he brought it one conversation to her and it was so frustrating and awkward and he's like well we talked and it was hard but and then a couple weeks later i'm like have you ever revisited this i'm like well no and of course it just shut down back to the same space i'm like bro are you serious about changing your life he's like, yeah then you, you got to put your finger on the button and don't take it off right you put your finger on the button and you don't take it off and if it destroys everything if you tear the building down completely to its bare bones, so be it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's what Jesus talked about. We talk about death. Yeah, yeah. We have to. You stop. Trying you want to live? You die. Yeah. Stop saving your marriage. He who seeks to save his marriage <laughs> will lose it. Yeah. And it will die this slow death of, des of quiet desperation, and then you just go, you know you become the TV tray couple sitting in front of Fox News. You know what I mean? <laughs> like my parents, you know, <laughs> freaking just eating yeah. dinner in front with their TV trays, and they can't even look each other in the eye anymore. Yeah. You know. But I had a guest on the show, Dr. Block, who wrote a whole book based on sitting in restaurants and just watching couples, you know, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, who didn't say a word to each other the whole time they right. ate their meal. Happens all the time. Oh, man. Happens all the time. Yeah. I went and to a really nice restaurant the other day. I took my wife for her birthday to a really nice high-end restaurant, romantic restaurant. And we watched a couple next to us look at their phones the whole time. Yeah. But I mean, it's like a $250 meal. Right. And they're like, I'm like sitting there going, and for us, that's a pretty rare thing. You know, that's like a <laughs> birthday kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. we just, we, we don't, we don't, we're not living that way right now. And 
And I was blown away, man. I'm like, I can't go, look at that, they're not even speaking to each other. Yeah. We couldn't stop staring at each other's eyes because it was just as magical, you know? Yeah. But that's the thing, though. We got, I, I try to remember the examples that I've seen in my family. My grandparents, all the TV tray couple. My parents, TV tray couple. My my in-laws, my step, my father-in-law's got dementia, and they just, they're just, just everything is just dying this slow, horrible death. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like smoking versus doing crack. You know, crack. <laughs> I heard a song. You used to hear the song. Crack will kill you quickly. That's why it's got to go. They'll get more of your money if they kill you nice and slow. You know, <laughs> like yeah. that's the idea. But that's that's literally what I see happening and I see people doing that with their sexuality so their sexuality dies into the space where they just become the old couple that's you know going on another vacation and stuff right. like but you got all these guys with this huge powerful erotic sex drive you know that are just like how do I bring this to my wife I'm like well if it's a bull in a china shop so be it let it bring it and just see what happens right. you know but you have to be honest it doesn't mean don't we force ourselves. We don't force ourselves on our wives. What we do right. is we, we bring our truth to them, and we don't apologize for it anymore. Like, yeah. Exactly. You just come in and say, "Here's what I desire, and here's what I want for my life, and I'm not done yet." Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you guys, I'm not you guys, dead. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, these guys that hit fifty, and they go like, "I guess this is it. I guess this is all there is." Yeah. Oh man, are you kidding me? It's kind of like the Matrix, and I used to touch on a lot of the Matrix analogies, and really love that movie. But I think that as I've you know, done this work for 13 years now um, with this podcast. It's I'm realizing that it's less about taking the red pill, the blue pill. It's more that we continue to. We want the matrix. Mm -hmm. Like the matrix feels easier yeah. because yeah. it's easier to just plug yourself into a machine and yeah. jerk off than it is to have a relationship. Well, to quote, to, it to, feels like it, but it's not. To quote Cypher, right? He just says, after this many years, plug, he's like, ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I know yeah. that the Matrix is telling me that this steak is nice and juicy. And goes, yeah. After all these years. <laughs> right? And that's the idea, though, is that is that if you... People t are tending to go... So the, the, great, the great writer, Carl Rayner, right? He said that in the future, we will all be mystics or nothing. Meaning... We will need to experience things, experience truth, experience God for real, right. or we are going to go into a nothingness space. So, it, 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 like, we're coming to a place as a species where spiritual truth and awakening and healing and transformation is going to become the new norm. Yeah. Like, it's becoming that. This new generation is coming up and, like, doing therapy, that stigma is lifting. Yeah. And people are recognizing that we can get healthy and I can find happiness no matter what. Yeah. And they're being told that, hey, you can find happiness. And part of it's because guys like you and I can get in a car and record a podcast and send it out into the world. Like, we didn't have that when we were kids, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you heard about some guru somewhere and you had to get in a, on a bus to go find him in San Francisco <laughs> yeah, or something, right? Pay $600 yeah. Yeah. to do seminars. Right. Like but yeah. now, now we can just, like... This that is that is shifting and that is changing and so yeah. people are coming to a space where they're where they're either going to have to go completely into this dead space intentionally no I refuse to change yeah. or they're gonna they're gonna awaken. Daniel Pink uh, wrote a new book called um, uh, The Whole New Brain, and part of what he's talking about in that book is uh, in a workspace <coughs> environment that the future belongs to those who are way more right brain. So. In the future, that machines will be able to do accounting stuff, mm -hmm. even writing manuals, right. writing code. Yeah. There's already machines that could write code. Right. That scares some people, right? right. Um, a lot of our economy in Seattle is based on a lot of people who write code. But he's saying that, that in the future, 
the, this this right brain, the idea of creating meaning, you know, yeah. um, story, how important story is, how important narrative is. Yeah, uh, yeah these what what could be called spiritual things, as you're saying, yeah. that's things are evolving for it's humans evolving. because. It's one thing that Elon Musk said, too, that I thought was really brilliant and interesting, is that he got really paranoid and freaked out by AI, right? Like, mm-hmm. he thought, oh, shit, it's going to be like uh, the, the Matrix, or it's going to be like uh, uh, the Terminator, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where Skynet, you know, assesses humanity, looks at the planet and goes, and it decides in a tenth of a second that we're all bugs that need to be eradicated, right? right. right. So Elon Musk started thinking about this and saying, well, if AI keeps growing, then it'll 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 kill us all, right? Like, it's because we're, right. <laughs> we're destroying the planet or whatever. But he, said, but he said he started to learn, as he learned about neuroscience and as he learned about um, creativity and how a machine can think he said that we're more like cyborgs. Mm. People are like we all have this device that we pick yeah. up and we look at, and yeah. and and we're becoming integrated with the technology, right. and the technology is becoming integrated with us. Yeah. And so his, so he can't he kind of landed on a more positive way of seeing this that without, without the humans, without yeah. the relationships, without the right brain kind of creativity. This this AI this yeah. life form if you call it that it doesn't exist right. it doesn't know that we're a threat because it's birthed out of us mm-hmm. which I found really interesting yeah um, yeah it's fascinating that I, I actually that's my new guidebook is kind of about that it's it's basically telling parents listen like this is the future we are integrated beings with technology don't go to war with it instead. Let's let's show you how to deeply nurture the human, yeah. deeply the nurture the love and the human within yourself. Recognizing that no matter what, no matter what, human beings will always be born with their primary need being one thing: love. Yeah. And no machine can give them that. That's and right. We'll never be able to. I mean, we've done the best we can. We got virtual reality pornography now. Yeah. Right. And it still can't do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, love, yeah. It can't actually do love. And so. You know, that's the thing is we have to do. And I, I actually, I'm a super optimist. I look at the entire thing and I recognize that for everything that pulls us further away from our soul, our soul cries out that much larger and that much. I mean, it's like skiing at night. You know, the darker it is, the more you see the, and the light shines in and you can see the terrain so much better. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the, the, the more craziness of that, that all this technology brings, the better we see ourselves. Yeah. And I think that, that what happens is the human, the human the deep human in us rises. Right. So, I'm an optimist for sure, man. Yeah, me too. I'm yeah. a realistic optimist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an optimist with a, you know, a, a safety harness, I guess, <laughs> to a certain extent. Um, thanks for thanks for doing this, huh? Yeah, thanks dude. Being on the show it was and, good. I wish we could. I wish we could do it as a YouTube thing so everybody can see what we're looking at. Yeah, we're we're in an airport. We're staring at Boeing, uh, one of Boeing's... Boeing's big plant in Renton, Washington. That's right. With the airport. Yeah. And we got this little municipal airport, all the planes landing in Lake Washington right here on our left side. And, That's right. And uh, it's a beautiful rainy day in the Northwest. You got your Seahawks jersey on. That's right. It's Blue 12? Friday. Is that a 12 jersey? Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah, so. they're never going to trade the 12. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. trade everybody else but they will trade the 12 well, hey I will say this man I want to say one final thing like when it comes to these guys that are sort of, that are in that first kind of stage where where the porn addiction is being discovered um, 
just recognize one thing, and I'll always go back to this, and this is what my book is about, and please read it. Feels Like Redemption, The Pilgrimage to Health and Healing. Find it on Amazon or find it on mypilgrimage.com, but, but recognize one thing. Not looking at porn, that's not the goal. Yeah. That's a byproduct. It, it, yeah. it'll, it'll come, but that's not the goal. It's like the flat, it's like the, the engine light on, yeah. your, on your dashboard. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, well-meaning, well-intentioned Christians out there yeah. that are, are encouraging you to reach up with a pair of snippers and snip the wire. Right, get the light to, to turn on. To the light to turn off. <laughs> right. But that's not the issue. No, it's, it's <laughs> that's not, not a good idea. No. Because it's pointing to something deeper, right? right. And that's what you've been saying. But it is a doorway. So if we start, yeah. if we start by, going, uh, by recognizing, like, okay, so this porn addiction is there for a reason. I am medicating. It's not the problem. It's the medication for the problem. Yeah. There's something I'm medicating, and I am being drawn into that, and it's a it's, it's a gift. Yeah, it's a yeah. gift, and it's a gift to the Christian church, man. That's the thing. It's a yeah. like the, the Christian church has this one thing right at its core, just screaming out yeah. that something is wrong with our with the way we do this. Something's wrong with our spiritual paradigm. Something yeah. is wrong with the God construct that we have created. Something's wrong with the institutions that are driven by yeah. men, yeah, who hide things in the dark and pretend like exactly. everything's fine when it's not. And every, every, I mean, it's just a matter of time until every single one of these guys comes tearing out of the closet. I've worked with enough pastors now. Yeah. I have worked with enough pastors who are dying inside because they are not allowed to be transformed. Yeah. They are. Or transparent. They can't be transparent. They can't be transformed because their whole life depends on, I got this guy right now. He's a pastor. He's got four kids and he's like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. But what do I do? How do I do this? My my healthcare, my my salary, my yeah. this is all I'm qualified for. What do I do? But I got to get out of here because it's literally suffocating him, because he can't ask any deeper question about God, and he has to keep feeding these people like babies. And that the thing is, when we when we struggle with porn addiction, what's great about it is that we can look at it right there and go, okay, wait a minute, something about what I believe has had zero impact on this thing. It's not right. changing it, and I keep begging God to take something away from me. And maybe, maybe it's our God that needs to disintegrate. And maybe if we let that kind of statue, that idol, crumble, yeah. maybe what God is, God, yeah, maybe that will become something that that's real for the first time. So, exactly. Yeah. From the inside out. Exactly. That's another thing that uh, somebody challenged me on. Um, I've had a few people challenge me on it, but the idea of intimacy disorder over addiction. <coughs> Um, so there's a lot of psychologists today, and that's season six is a lot of that. Like, let's let's think about it as intimacy disorder over addiction. Right. But the addiction language is still there because it feels like addiction. It's right. an addiction. Right. You can't stop doing it on your own. Right. That's always I've had that attitude since I started this show that a lot of people want to, you know, get all technical about defining addiction. And if you open the Webster's Dictionary, it simply says, like, a really bad habit. Right, right. It's not that well, people always go, well, what happened to anything? Right. Do you want to stop? Yes. Can you? No. Yeah, there, there you, you go. go. You're an addict. Yeah. yeah. And then the intimacy disorder part, though, how would how would you define that, Seth? Intimacy, intimacy disorder? Yeah, the way the way that the psychologist... I, I would say any human... This is the thing, right? It, it's tough because diagnosis are... The idea of a diagnosis is built off the idea of health insurance, right? Because health insurance <laughs> needs a diagnosis in order to categorize in order to pay for things. That's yeah. the only reason these things exist because for the most part, diagnoses are not helpful. Yeah. They're just not. Exactly. Because people latch onto them as an identity, prescribe a medication, and it's it's not a helpful way of understanding things. That's why I was I was telling you earlier, like we were talking about creativity and going, you have to start with your starting point has to be there is no limit to the possibilities. Right. All things are possible. No limit whatsoever. No diagnosis, no right. disease, no nothing. 
Okay, that's what Jesus was trying to show us. There is no limit to yeah. this thing, right? Well, intimacy disorder is if you can put a vision for your life of what you desire in a relationship. So if you, everyone is listening right now stops and says, and I say, what do you want in a relationship? Well, when I started this, I said, somebody asked me that question. I said, I want to know what it is to have the greatest and most free-flowing love that a man and woman can exi- can experience between each other in a human world. Right. And he's like, wow, that's that's big. You know, yeah, that's what I want. Okay, if I'm I not... I have no exper- idea. Right. Well, that's a, that's a lot of people, right? If you have yeah. no... If you don't know... If you don't know... Or, or yeah. you're not experiencing the thing you do want... Uh-huh. You have an intimacy disorder. Yeah, that's good. That's it. That's it's that simple. Yeah, yeah. You know, if someone, you know, somebody asked me today, one of my clients is just like, yeah, my wife is just, you know, she's just, she's just not a, somebody who follows through on anything because he's been like bringing her to, to his truth to her. She just doesn't follow through. And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you experiencing the life you want, the sexuality you want, the intimacy you want? And he's like, no. And I go, are you experiencing what you want as a career? No. Money? No. Purpose? No. Who's the one that's not following through? Yeah, you know, and we can say he has an intimacy disorder, but we can, but we, what we have to recognize is that every human being, if you look at it and go, "Well, oh, you're blocked," yeah. something's blocking you. Right. The question is, what is it? Where is it? What level does it exist inside of you, and how do you get get to it and remove it? Yeah. That's that's the whole thing, and that's why psycho spiritual work is the new frontier, where we recognize the spirit's a real thing, and it has real power, and it has, and we are integrated fully with it, and we can use that if we can learn how. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's not religion. Yeah, no. And I'm not. a Christian through and through, man. Yeah, me too. But I'm, but I'm a Christian with a friggin' backpack on. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this, this, this bullshit theology thing anymore and sit around and act like God is pissed at me about something. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. God, God, God is. Yeah. And I'm swimming in that ocean. I want to know what it means to be able to really flow in that. So. Yeah, that's yeah. that's where I land too. It's. I interviewed Peter Rollins, a philosopher, and he was talking about the the heart of Christianity really being an anti-religion. Mm. Jesus comes into the the, the religion yeah. and blows it up, right? <laughs> and over and over again, something that Paul Young said too. Over and over again, all these these stories in the Old Testament about this big angry God. These are all different religious constructs. Right. And God climbs inside of them with love and destroys them, yeah. each and every one from the inside out. Right. And we're seeing that today. We're seeing that today in modern culture where um, because of things like social media, yeah. because of things like the Internet, it is really hard for these guys to hide. Yeah. You know, this stuff yeah. with Willow Creek, this stuff with the Roman Catholic Church. Um, you can't hide anymore. Right. So... Either you're you're going to be found out, yeah. you know, and start really getting into the the death, this ego death, and and learning to grow yeah. in spirit. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, that's it. In the future, we will all be mystics or nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. It's very true. That's another thing is that we're just getting over Christmas and rounding out the show here. I love how. Uh, I just heard some guy, because sometimes I'll tune in and out of like Christian radio, and this guy's like, oh, and the three wise men, the three kings came to see Jesus. Yeah. They're mystics. Like, that's, <laughs> if you go into the scripture, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, they, the mystics, coming mystics to see a mystic. came, yeah. they, they would probably be more bringing crystals and having, Dude, like, they're astrologers, they're following stars. They're yeah, exactly. Going, the gods have shown us in the stars that there's something, in that entire myth, which is what it is, it's a myth, you know. Yeah. It has a, it has a really really profound meaning for the for the truth of God's word. When people talk yeah. about like the Celts talk about how the universe, the creation is God is the big book. 
Yeah. The Bible's a little book, right? Yeah. Creation is the big book, you know, there's something to be said in that, so. And those three mystics weren't there by accident. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Nothing by accident. Yeah. Especially if we stop, if we, we look at it and just say, what does this mean for us, you know? Yeah. You know, that's, that's all that matters. Yeah, exactly. Hey, thanks again, buddy. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, and, good uh, to see you, man. Yeah, till next time. All right. I told myself this could give up And when, when I was off Which happened a lot You came to me You said that's enough Oh, I know that this love is pain But we can't cut it from out these veins, no. There goes Seth Taylor. That's uh, One Republic with My Oh My. All of the uh, bumper music that I play here on the podcast can be found on Spotify. ASI Bumps. ASI Podcast Bumps, if you uh, search that out. Um, my hope for you in this new year, 2019, is renewed relationships Um, But most of all, that relationship with yourself, watching the static in my own life through this journey dissipate over the years. But again, that relationship with that you, that little you spirit inside of you is so incredibly important. The sex stuff, man, I'm telling you from experience Uh, it it tends to take care of itself when you start to do some work on your own heart and start to shine that light of love from the inside out. And yes, while my relationship with the divine, with Christ, has been so incredibly important, carrying me when I didn't think I had enough energy, giving me the courage to face difficult circumstances, and I've learned that, listen, A lot of us just like sticking to the bottle. Like Seth said, we like the milk. Um, God is ushering us into spiritual meat. Uh, Real, nourishing, spiritual stuff that flows from us. Alright? It's God's gift to us. This whole life is. So be weary of churches and spiritual teachers who are trying to keep you on the milk because they have a vested interest in you not growing too much. Don't be afraid when you start to raise some eyebrows because listen, free people are radical people and radical in a good way where there is no neat little boxes for people to fit in. 
radical people realize our stories are unique and the power of the situation is weighty. And radical people won't stand aside and let our churches become manufacturing plants for baby formula. Love you guys. ASI247.org is the website for this here podcast. Till next time, bye.